My cat's just sleeping on her back right now. It's the most adorable thing. I challenge your cat sleeping and I raise you a dog sleeping. (laughs) Is he sleeping on his back, though? No. He, like, curls up in a little doggy donut, though. Like, he's a Great Dane, so he's massive. But he tries to take up the smallest footprint possible when he's asleep. Oh, my God. That's adorable. So it's a giant doggy donut, not a little doggy donut. Oh, yeah. Like, Homer (laughs) Simpson-sized. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. Hey everybody, how are we doing tonight? Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. Good evening and thank you for calling me lovely. Always, Dana. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks, and here on EDHRECcast, we're going to give that data a little more context. We have another guest on today. Ladies and gents, you didn't know it, but Liliana Vess has a sister. Please welcome Kaya Vess. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. Kaya, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you tonight? I'm doing very, very well. I'm excited to talk about some of your favorite deck styles, Chaos. Awesome. So, um, yeah, Chaos, my favorite format. (laughs) Definitely. But we also want to know a little bit more about the articles that you write on EDHREC, because you're doing something that none of us other authors are able to provide. You're creating a bunch of stuff in the game, and it's absolutely fantastic. So if you don't mind, I'm going to jump right into the interview. Can you tell us a little about your article series, such as uh, Bringing Magic to Life? Absolutely. So um, I've always loved the ideas of having figurines represent characters, such as like D&D and Warhammer. Um, I've been playing D&D for years. I think the reason people are so drawn to tokens is the idea of stacking the table with large numbers, so it's natural that I'd like to take it to the next level. Yeah, definitely. I've just been perusing through a handful of your articles, and I can see you've made just a whole bunch of them. Yes, yes, I have. I uh, absolutely love creating things. I've been doing it for many years. Uh, I've been doing a lot of jewelry most for the past few years, but this past coming year I've been doing some... EDH-related 3D printing stuff, so it's been um, really fun. It's been an adventure. So so with all the work that you've been doing, just with all the the figurines and sculptures and everything, I'm I'm guessing you have to do it from scratch. So how long does the process take from from start to finish? Um, Well, the prints themselves don't take too long. Anything that's about a foot can take a good six hours to print, though. Uh, 3D modeling itself, that takes a few days depending on how time crunched I am or how detailed the model is. So you how you mentioned you've been doing this for a couple years. Do you know precisely when you started creating figurines and sculptures? Um, well, the 3D modeling itself, it's been about the last year or so. I decided to pick it up because I've been so fascinated with 3D modeling and 3D printing. But the jewelry, as far as like making like nerdy-related jewelry, magic-related jewelry, that's been the past maybe five, five years, I would say. So you've been creating for a whole bunch of different hobbies, then. Yes, I, I'm a hobbyist enthusiast. <laughs> 
So another follow-up question on that, I guess, just because it's so fascinating to me. You've definitely got craftsmanship that I do not possess. Uh, you've mentioned that you've been 3D printing for about a year. What other materials were you using before then? Um, well, I actually worked a lot with wire working stuff, you know, like necklaces. Like, a, for example, I made a, uh, three, a tree of life pendant because when I first started making jewelry, I started making tree of life pendants and I was like well how can I make that magic related so I did uh, five different areas each for the different color mana symbols and then I did a stone carving of a planeswalker symbol and put it right there in the roots so it was kind of like stuff like that wire beads I did a little bit of stone carving and then 3d modeling and printing has been my newest hobby that's so cool I love it thanks well, looking at the the figurines I've seen that you've got made, there's a there's a like a giant Omnath, I think, um, and a Kozilek, and some Moxen, and was there a Nicol Bolas trophy, I think, as well for a league. Mm-hmm. Um, which of those was your favorite? I, I thought the Bolas trophy was pretty fantastic. That was like a cool thing to bring home. But I'm wondering what which of the ones you made was your personal preference. Well, I'd lie if I say I didn't want to flaunt my Mox style. Uh, I love the moxes that I made, uh, but my heart goes to this Bolus um, statue I made. It took a really long time. It was my biggest project um, up until my cat decided that there can only be one and just utter ended him out of existence. Uh. <laughs> oh, man, that's rough. Yeah. That, that's really what we need to defeat Nicol Bolas in the story, then. We just need more cats. A Johnny, get in here. Well, he was, or the cat was being a Johnny. <laughs> yes. Yes, he, yes, she was. I love it. I, I also, you mentioned those mocks, and those were my personal favorite of the stuff that you put together. I was just floored when I saw them. I'm, really, I'm just going to spend this entire podcast completely geeking out, because every time that one of your articles comes out, I get so excited. I'm like, guys, look at this. She's making things. I'm making decks, but she's making decks and things. It's so cool. I always appreciate that. It's not easy. <laughs> oh, I'll bet. Uh Another really cool thing about your articles is that you don't just discuss ways to craft those figurines. You also discuss ways to craft like leagues at your local game store or ways to create you know, a fun environment for your significant other to join games. So I'm just kind of curious, what are some tips that you have for other players looking to do the same, to create those other types of intangible things? Not necessarily just the figurines, but really nice play environments or, or local leagues or things like that. Um, well, my biggest thing is to be creative. But... Okay, in all seriousness, I think that taking the focus out of EDH itself when playing EDH usually has a more enjoyable environment for everyone. Um, Because to me, EDH has always been kind of like a board game, uh, an excuse to sit down with your friends and have fun while having a similar focus at the table. So the second you make everything about the game itself, I find that it can breed a lot of drama, competitiveness, and sore feelings. So... You've kind of moved on from creating magic-specific stuff in your articles, correct? So, in your new articles, it's, you're talking about combining hobbies. So, what what made you want to switch over to that? And just what's the what are you guys doing, or what are you doing in that series? Oh, so you mean an excuse to talk about my tyranids on any platform? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. I have no idea what even, the tyranids are actually. I, so. I don't know what any of that means. Um, well, they're kind of like sli- they look kind of like slivers almost, and as I've mentioned in my articles. But actually, at least locally, I have a lot of friends slowly leaving EDH uh, just because they've had their fill of playing to win. 
My other friends, however, who have been playing since forever, they've been playing since the beginning because they find oddball ways to make their decks. So for me, finding outside sources to influence my decks or your decks um, to help keep the game, it just helps keep the game interesting. If not, you can find yourself stuck doing the same deck designs repeatedly. That's really cool. So you're taking influences from like whatever game that those Tyranids are from, and you're making an EDH deck to represent that game, sort of like a flavor deck for a different IP. That, that's really awesome. I uh, mentioned on a podcast a little while ago that I created a, a, a Tom Riddle Harry Potter deck. It was uh, another sort of similar inspiration there. I, I really like it. I'm also kind of curious what people's reactions are when you you know you pull out these awesome figurines when you create a bunch of omnath tokens and you actually have elemental angry green jelly bean looking guys that that are going to stomp on them like what do people usually say when that happens it's really funny um i get mixed reactions usually when i'm playing and i start making my elementals i'll bring out my tokens and people are like oh my god what is that that is so cool and then I have other people who are like, how much? I'll buy those right now. And then I have others who are, you know, I get a lot of mixed reactions, but it's mostly like just this like excitement that this is something that exists and they're just, you know, kind of watching because it's almost like bringing the game to life. It's, you know, putting it in front of somebody and you're just seeing it there. And I don't know. It's really cool. I get a lot of really good reactions. Were people really vying for that Nicol Bolas trophy in the league? Oh, yes. It it actually made um, everybody was very competitive <laughs> because they all wanted that bolus trophy. And I'm not going to lie, I was a little competitive in that league, too, because I kind of wanted to bring my own trophy home, even though I could make another one. <laughs> I'll bet. It's definitely cool. Listeners, you absolutely have to check out Kaya's article series on EDH Rec. She's creating things that will completely blow your mind. Kaya, can you give us a sneak peek of the next project that you're working on? Well, uh, currently I've been putting all my efforts. Um, I'm making Assassin's Creed here right now for Megacon this weekend. So it's been a fun and difficult focus. Um, all that I have left for that project is the wrist blades. Uh, but who knows? I might make a deck of it. Ooh, so what kind of deck would you use for Assassin's Creed? Um, honestly, I'm not 100% sure yet. I am still in the works of thinking about it. Um, I'm researching different things. I don't want to give away too much right now, but right, uh, right. it'll definitely be something pretty cool. All right, I'm looking forward to it. Out of curiosity, for those Tyranids, which, what game is that from, by the way? Oh, sorry. It's from Warhammer 40k. Oh, God. I mean, that's not you for having forgotten to mention. It's me not having enough nerd cred, really, is what that is. So what what did that deck look like? Just to get an idea of how you're bringing those other uh, flavors of nerd kingdomness into the game of Magic. So I actually use Slivers um, because Slivers seem the most similar to the Tyranids. Tyranids are kind of like these bug creatures, uh, and their whole thing is just eating things um, and morphing their genes, much like predators, you know, morphing their genes with other people, other uh, species' genes, and kind of combining different forms. Uh, it's kind of similar to Slivers because they're like these bug things, and they come in, and you know, so they're they're just kind of similar in that aspect so i never noticed it honestly until i started playing warhammer i was like wow these guys are a lot like slivers that's really cool i think you also started a youtube 
cast on on your channel. Uh, I know your channel is called The Girl with the Lotus Tattoo, which is awesome, by the way. Uh, but can you tell us a little about that channel or your your podcast, what, whatever it is that you started on your YouTube channel? Sorry that I'm a little out of the loop on that one, too. But it, it definitely sounded interesting. No worries. Um, honestly, that I've been um, I've been slacking on it uh, because I'm a little bit shy as far as being on camera, and I have been busy doing 3D printing and just a bunch of other side projects. Um, all my stuff can be found on YouTube by searching "Girl with the Lotus Tattoo." The last video I did was actually on player etiquette, and uh, one day I'll do a podcast eventually. Well, hey, you're doing this one. Yes, exactly. So do you really have a lotus tattoo is the question then? Of course I do. Okay. <laughs> yes. Just want to make sure you don't get in trouble for false advertising. Oh, no. I think there's actually a picture of it on the YouTube channel, I believe. Yes, there is. There's a picture of it on the on my YouTube channel and also on my Facebook page. Just okay. out of curiosity, since you're designing so many sculptures, did you design the tattoo as well? Um, I actually used an artwork I found. Um online that I had always admired. Uh, I did make a couple of adjustments with the artist who did it. And actually, I have to go back and get a few touch-ups because uh, it's not completely done yet. But yeah, I did help a little bit, but I did base it off of something else, something I found. That's really cool. Just like a deck, I suppose, it's never really finished, is it? You're always tuning your EDH decks too. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> So we know from some of the stuff that you've told us, just like in our writer's chat and stuff, that one of your favorite styles to play in Commander is Chaos. You like very chaotic decks. I'm just kind of curious, why is Chaos one of your favorite styles to play? Um, because it's a lot more fun, uh, because it's a deviation from the norm. Uh, it brick walls people's day in and day in and day out of the rhythm of playing and it allows you to take control by not being in control. Guys, do you, do you agree that it's a lot more fun? I, d I don't have too many chaos players in my meta. So I'm just kind of curious what the other guys think. Well, I, I will preface this by saying, um, I understand that logic, like sitting down and playing a game where, you know, the rules of gravity no longer apply and like all kinds of wacky, crazy things can occur. Um, it's not at all remotely my jam when I want to sit down and play. Because I think it removes a lot of the things I like from the game, which is you know designing a a, a deck that is doing a certain thing, and, you, and you're you're playing that out and trying to stop other people from doing their thing. So it, it takes away a lot of the things I like about playing Magic. So like I'll do a Chaos game once in a while, and by once in a while I mean like once a year, <laughs> and I'm good. I'm, I like I do I, I do one, and I'm like okay that was fun, and I never want to do this again until the you know the new year is ringing in, and I'll do another one again. So. It's not remotely my thing, but I understand the logic behind it for some people. I see why it's fun. Matt, what do you think? You've professed yourself to be very spiky. Does that mean that you don't like chaotic games, that you do like chaotic games? What do you uh, think? I don't, I don't mind them every now and then. I am actually, my, my version of really fun chaos games is actually Plane Chase. Uh, we used to have the deck of the Plane Chase cards that we would go through as our version of chaos. Um, I've only played a handful of games against chaos decks. And they were fine. I don't mind it so long as the person still is finding a way to win. It's the chaos for chaos sake that I'm kind of like, all right, it's three <laughs> hours later. Let's let's do something. Um, but I actually I, I like some of the chaos that like the, the plane chase stuff brings. Um, but I just don't have a ton of experience. I don't mind it. I'm sure like a game a night just 
you know, get it out of your system, uh, but then, you know, play another game. So, yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. I don't have anything really against it. Not as strong as Dana, I guess. Yeah, Kaya, do you have any response? Something that maybe we're missing? Why we don't like Chaos as much as you? Well, um, I think the biggest thing is I know that a, a huge thing that people don't like about Chaos is that the games can run very long. But um, the thing is, like, I, I believe you both brought up very good points. The point is that Chaos is just such a rarity, you know, something that's just not normally played. So if there's not too much of an understanding of it, sometimes getting back to the point, I believe that Chaos is it, it's just a break from the norm as far as how I feel about it. Yeah. Now, are, are you playing with kind of a small group of people where it's like the same group of, you know, half a dozen people? most of the time is that what your play group is like oh um no i actually do play with a rather large group we typically roll for pods as far as we roll a dice we pod up together and that way it just keeps the because we have a very large base of play groups like i can walk into multiple different stores and there's a lot of different groups um but the the particular group that i play with like i said we roll for pods we randomize everything some people kind of give me a look when they see me because they know I'm already going to be bringing out my chaos deck. <laughs> and they know they're in for like a pretty long game. But usually it's a lot of laughs and a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, since it is a break from the norm, we're actually just coming off of two episodes in a row where we talk about underplayed cards and also underplayed commanders. So here you are talking about an underplayed style. And that has a lot of the same benefits of the stuff that we were talking about in the last two episodes, where it really throws other players off of their game, and they don't know how to respond as well, which means that you can sort of get in when they least expect it and get some extra value and maybe clinch a win in ways that they aren't able to anticipate. So that's really cool. Yes. <laughs> it also lets you use cards that don't see play anywhere else. I mean, a lot of the cards that get used in Chaos decks are cards that aren't being played anywhere else. So that, that's always fun to a degree is just seeing stuff that doesn't get seen anywhere else oh yeah i mean good luck playing your win cons with possibility storm <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so what is your favorite chaos deck um i have a five color chaos deck uh i use child of alara mainly for the colors but sometimes it can get bonkers if i do use child of alara but you know why choose only some colors when you can have them all most go red and blue but that limits the silliness to me, namely, for example, Enduring Ideal. <laughs> oh, goodness. I was just going to ask, actually, because a lot of the random effects that we see in the game Magic the Gathering, they tend to be centralized in red because red is such a, a crazy anarchistic color. Are there a lot of effects in white that do things at random? Right, it, white, white is usually so structured and ordered and, and stuff like that. Are a lot of random effects that you can find there? Um, well, like I said, the one that I just named, Enduring Ideal, it's a uh, seven mana white, col uh, white card. Uh, essentially, with this card, you can search your library for an enchantment card and put it into play. Uh, the chaoticness with this is the epic effect. Essentially, for the rest of the game, you can't play spells. And at the beginning of your upkeeps, you make a copy of each of the spells. So um, it gets pretty nutty when you're playing like Hive Mind or Eye of the Storm, for example. Yeah, that, that's a game that sounds like a headache to me, which is also a really good thing in its favor if you know how those cards work. Like we mentioned, you can get a lot of extra value, you can get really a good edge in there if other folks are barely able to keep up with the board, but you're like, yeah, I know how all this goes. That can really help you clinch that victory and end that game. 
Yeah, a lot of, you know, it's funny after an hour or two, maybe three hours, a lot, there's the there's that rarity where some groups will uh, play it out and then there's other groups that just scoop out of frustration. Yeah, but even so, if everyone else's head is spinning, then it's definitely easier for you to navigate and that's really cool. Do you have a, you mentioned Enduring Ideal, but is that your favorite Chaos Chord or are, are there other Chaos cards that are, you know, do you have a particular favorite? So there was another uh, card that I wanted to mention. It's called Fractured Identity. It's a white-blue card. You can exile the target non-land permanent, and then each other play, uh, each player other than its controller can create tokens. That's a copy of it. So I like to play that with Eye of the Storm or Hive Mind. It's around. It's one of my favorite plays uh, because it, it gets pretty nutty pretty quickly. But as far as my absolute favorite Chaos card, uh, I stand by Possibility Storm. I feel like it's the ultimate Chaos card um, that I feel many agree it's at least somewhat competitive for ruining win cons. Oh, definitely. Because it, it changes whatever spell you play into the next spell on top of your deck. Is that right? Yes. So, yeah, so you you never know what you're actually playing from your hand. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, sometimes I'll play a card and people will be like, oh, what is that? And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. Impossibility storming. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know, I, I think I can hear Dana maybe grumbling a little bit to himself because we actually mentioned uh, Fractured Identity, uh, one of those cards you mentioned a little while ago on the cast. And he was the one who really didn't like Fractured Identity very much. Well, and to be fair, though, that was like I didn't like it in a it's a good card sense. It's a whole different thing if you're playing it for the chaos effect. That's true. Like at that point in time, you're not trying to use it to, you know, win a game or something. You're trying to use it just to like throw gas on the fire. So that's a, you know, that makes sense there. Absolutely. That's a good point. Definitely. Yeah, so, very good point. One last question: What's the craziest or most chaotic board state you've ever gotten into? Any idea? Oh yes. Well, <laughs> so um, I I've been in a lot of situations. Um, I'd have to say, uh, as I've, uh, I guess one of the craziest ones was I played Eye of the Storm, Hive Mine, and Cruel Entertainment. How this happened, or how anybody let that happen, I have no idea. But for some reason, everybody let it go. Uh, we actually had a blackboard to keep up, uh, to keep track of whose turn, um, who had whose turn, and nobody had their own turns for a very long time. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think that game was about five hours. Oh my goodness. Well, I figure since we're talking chaos and like crazy games, I, I will briefly mention many, many years ago, I played in a game where it was singleton, essentially, it was non-commander Highlander, basically, mm -hmm. before it was a format, and a guy in the game cast Shahrazad, which then forces you to play a sub-game. So we had to leave the table we were at and move up like to the kitchen bar to play the sub game, at which point, like a half hour into it, he used Ring of Maroof, which is an old card from Arabian Nights where you can get a card from outside the game and bring it into the game. And he went and got Shahrazad oh. from the previous game's graveyard. Oh, it back. So then we had to so we had to move to the floor for the third game. That's so it was like the it was like Magic Inception. We were down three layers deep. Oh my, oh my god. I love that. The Pass. weirdest one that I've ever gotten into was regarding the card Time Sifter. Are you guys familiar with that one? Oh, yes. 
Uh, of course. I should, why did I even ask? Yeah, so Time Sifter, it's this weird five-mana artifact that says that at the beginning of each player's upkeep, everyone removes the top card of their library from the game. The player who removed the card with the highest converted mana cost takes an extra turn after this one. If two or more players' cards are tied for the highest cost, the tied players repeat this process until the tie is broken. So basically, the turn order is completely screwed around, and it's just whoever flips the card with the highest converted mana cost off the top of their deck, they get the next turn. First time that I saw this card was against someone's Eldrazi deck. So they took, I want to say, eight turns in a row or something like that. It was absolutely bananas. We did not last very long, but there was nothing we could do. The game was completely altered. Like you said earlier in the cast, Dana, the laws of gravity no longer applied. The laws of time no longer applied. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I've actually played um, a couple of times with Time Sifter, and I've thrown in stuff like Confusion of the Ranks, or Confusion in the Ranks, to Fairy's Puzzle Box, a couple of things like that, and that just completely broke the game. Oh, my brain can't even do the math on like, how confusing that must get at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had another game. Uh, it was one of my more favorite ones where I was stuck with only Beacon of Immortality because somebody milled my deck out except for that. And I was blackmailed to doubling someone's life each turn. And someone had said, please kill me. So I just kept doubling their life every turn. (laughs) Please kill me? That's the... Oh. That's why you like chaos so much. Because it gets your opponents begging you for mercy. That's, That's hysterical. So... Real quick, Kaya, I know that you do have to take off here pretty soon, but do you want to challenge the stats with us? Yeah, absolutely. We can do it. Alrighty. Um, in this segment, listeners, every one of us is going to take a card that we think deserves to see a bit more play or a bit less play than the statistics show that it currently enjoys. Kaya, do you want to let us know your pick for challenging the stats? Uh, sure. I, uh, I chose Goblin Game. It's almost like an uncard without being an uncard. You want to tell us a little bit about what that card does? It's definitely a little lesser known. It's a really weird card. It is a weird card. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm actually, it's a lot of text, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it off here. So essentially, each player hides at least one object. Then all players reveal them simultaneously. Each player loses life equal to the number of objects he or she revealed. That player who revealed the fewest objects then loses half his life or her life rounded up. If two or more players are tied up for fewest, each loses half his or her life rounded up. I have seen this card once before. My younger brother loves Goblin Game. For the record, it's not like it hasn't been errata to say each player secretly chooses a number or something. You actually have to find objects. Yeah, and then uh, I've been in situations where many people die because they get so excited and they hide too many too many things. (laughs) <laughs> so that's a card that you think more people should play? Yes. Oh, man. The best part of it is in the rulings, it says, when it comes to choice of items, use common sense. <laughs> does it really? In the gatherer yeah, rules? Yeah, it does. That's... Like, in the official gatherer rulings. That's fantastic. The card itself has been so weird every time that my younger brother plays it. He plays it, I think, in his Vile Smasher deck, so he just likes that everyone's losing a bunch of life. And frequently, I think he gets a little overexcited, too, and he'll get the most items or something like that, and he'll lose a bunch of life for it, but he doesn't care, because Vile Smasher's gonna do some random damage, too. (laughs) 
it really is the spirit of older fun cards um, the, that Magic used to have. What else is more fitting? I mean, what else is more fitting for red? Definitely, definitely. Uh, for my pick challenging the stats this week, I also went with a pretty chaotic card called Grip of Chaos. This is a red enchantment for six mana that says whenever a spell or ability is put onto the stack, reselect its target at random if it has a single target. This was a really bizarre card that a friend of mine pulled out in one game, and I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. I don't usually play with a whole bunch of random cards or things that ask for coin flips or choosing targets at random, but this one really surprised me because I realized whenever I wanted to point like my Path to Exile or Shroids of Plowshares or Utter End or anything at one of his permanents, including the Grip of Chaos, I would end up hitting something else. It was almost like a red asceticism because suddenly I didn't want to play my spot removal because it could end up hitting my own stuff. It's definitely a really, really neat card. Have you guys had any experience with this one? Well, I'm sure Kaya has, but Dana, Matt? I have not, no. I, I haven't either. I, I'm in the dark. Yeah, it did. It looked a little innocuous to me at first, but when he played it, I was like, dang, all of my spot removal has been completely destroyed now. I, I actually can't play any of these cards to deal with your stuff. So even though it's a, a chaos card on the front, it's got some really cool hidden synergies for any deck, really. And it only shows up currently in 1,289 decks, but I think that red decks could make pretty good use of this. Like I said, it's sort of like an asceticism, so it's uh, it's got some really neat uses, and it definitely should see a bit more play. Dana, what's your pick this week? So my pick is the closest I'm actually ever going to get to a Chaos card. Um, and it's not a Chaos card, it's Chaos Warp. So that's that should tell you something about, about me and Chaos. But Chaos Warp is in 24,000 decks, which is a lot of decks, right? But compared to something like Beast Within, Beast Within is in 34,000. So Beast Within is in 10,000 more decks. And Chaos Warp may be one of the best removal spells in the format, just like full stop, and it's in red. So not only is it your only way to deal with enchantments in red, and for the most part, to deal with straight up removing a targeted creature without you know relying on some ridiculous X amount of damage, it hits anything. It hits you know Planeswalkers. It hits whatever you want to hit, Chaos Warp deals with it. So it's not just a card that should be in red decks. It probably should be a targeted removal spell in any deck running red. I mean, it's as good as anything out there. And I think people, number one, because it's red, they kind of like assume, well, if I'm playing other colors, I don't need to rely on red's poor man removal. It's not a poor man removal spell. It's as good as anything in other colors. And the fact that it's in 24,000 decks means a lot of people like it, but it should be in more. It should be sporting beast within numbers at least i can't disagree with that chaos warp does really nutty things and both chaos warp and beast within are on record from magic designers being like yeah these are kind of color pie breaks but that's what makes them so good they can deal with anything and usually your opponent's right. going to flip over like a land or something yeah i mean there's there's like a 30 percent chance it's going to hit a, a usually more than that that's just going to hit a land and if it hits a spell you know there, there's like a for the most part in most decks i would say 60% chance it whiffs. I mean, occasionally it'll flip over like an Eldrazi, but so often it's just it just, just gets rid of the thing, gone, and that's if it. If only we still had the tuck rules for the commanders. Right. It, it was one of the cards that, like, it, it's so good, it didn't really get worse with a tuck rule either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Matt, do you have a pick ready? I do. So, I, like I said, I'm not big on chaos cards myself and... and playing those types of games, but I do like stealing people's stuff, and so kind of along that similar vein, 
Uh, Kai was talking about, you know, getting everybody else's stuff from them. My card, if you like stealing other people's cards, spells, creatures, whatever, um, Knowledge Pool is a, a card I would I'd direct you towards. Knowledge Pool is an, uh, an artifact for six. Um, and when it comes into play, uh, you imprint, so each player exiles the top three cards of their library. Uh, then whenever a player plays a spell from his or her hand, that player exiles it. If they do... Uh, you may cast another spell, non-land card, exiled with Knowledge Pool without paying that card's mana cost. So, everybody gets rid of those top three, you throw everything in, and then mix it all up, and, and you get one of those. That's the kind of chaos, it's at least a little more controlled, I guess, than than maybe Chaos Warp or Scramble Verse or stuff like that. But yeah, if, if you want to steal other people's stuff, granted they can steal yours too, but just play a bad deck so they don't want to steal it. So, and I think I've seen Knowledge Pool played a bit in... Who's the the red blue sphinx? Arjun. Arjun, I think I've seen some Ar- Arjun decks running mm-hmm. it. I believe. Yeah, well, it's it's knowledge pool is currently only played in fifteen hundred ninety five decks. So, I think if you're if you're playing a deck that you know if you're like Kaya who likes chaos, that might be a good way to go. If you're like me who just wants to steal everybody's stuff, knowledge pool might be might be your jam too. So anyone <laughs> knows what happens when possibility storms already out? Yes, I actually had to see. I, I got asked about a game that was going on that that actually happened was they flipped over a knowledge pool to uh, a possibility storm and everybody just rolled their eyes. <laughs> I, I, I feel like Kaya, another really great perk to playing all these chaos decks is that it really prepares you for like taking a judge test to become a judge because there are so many weird triggers all happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. It all depends on who's the active player and all that fun stuff. Oh man, definitely crazy. And listeners, you can always go on EDHREC and check out the themes categories, and you can find specifically chaotic decks there as well. Under that themes, you'll find chaos. It looks like there are, at the moment, 890 dedicated chaos decks that use a huge density of cards that do things at random. A whole bunch of them fall under things like Norin the Wary, or Zedru the Great Hearted, or Yidris, who has Cascade, and they play amazing cards, a lot of them that Kaya has mentioned. And if you have any questions about those weird, bizarre cards that will completely destabilize the board state, you should definitely get in touch with her so that she can she can tell you how they work, because I am completely at a loss. Alrighty, lastly guys, let's go head-to-head. Let's challenge some some cards against each other to see which one is more popular than the other. Kaya, do you mind starting us off with your head-to-head cards? Absolutely. I chose for mine Hive Mind and Eye of the Storm. Uh, they're very similar cards, and I thought they would be perfect head-to-head. Absolutely. So can you explain for plebs like me who don't quite know what those cards do, can you explain what they are? Sure. So with Hive Mind, it's um, it's an enchantment, and whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, each other player copies that spell. Each of those players may choose new targets for his or her copy. And then for Eye of the Storm, um, it's also an enchantment. Whenever a player plays an instant or sorcery card, you remove it from the game. Then that player copies each instant or sorcery card removed from the game with Eye of the Storm. For each copy, the player may play the copy without paying its mana cost. Gotcha. So one of them will have everyone else repeat the spell, whereas Eye of the Storm will make someone cast all previous spells. That's really crazy. Yeah, both really hurt cast decks, but differently. (laughs) Oh, definitely. 
I think since Eye of the Storm is technically an older card, that's going to be my pick. I think that since it's been around a little longer, more people have heard of it. Yeah, and I think Eye of the Storm probably is a little better in some manner of Storm deck as well. So like maybe it has a home outside of just Chaos. That's just a guess. I don't know if that's true or not because I don't I've never played a Storm deck really. But So that would be my logic for saying Eye of the Storm as well. Just because I think it might have a home in a different archetype. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Hive Mind actually because you don't hear you don't sit down and hear somebody say you know I have an Eye of the Storm deck. People would, would sit down and say I have a Hive Mind deck, and people know exactly what you're doing. And I know that's super anecdotal, but I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Hive Mind. Oh, uh, that's because Hive Mind does that. It, what is it? The Pact cycle for yeah. the the win condition. So you'll cast those cards that demand uh, a cost on your upkeep, or else you lose the game. Like Pact of the Titan or Pact of Negation. And then when your opponents, since they copied the spell, they can't actually pay the cost, so they immediately lose. I, I can see what you mean there. Kaya, do you want to let us know who's right? I mean, the best way to put it is one person plays Time Warp with Eye of the Storm, and then the game's over. <laughs> Dang. All right. So which one shows up more? Is it Eye of the Storm? The numbers for Hive Mind is 1667, and Eye of the Storm is 1402. Ah, so you win, Matt. I do. I do. Good. And once Agreed. Matt said like Hive Mind decks in, in I think it's Moderns that get played or it did at one point in time, that totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. So for my pick for uh, head-to-head this week, I'm going with two kind of weird cards, and I hope you guys don't mind that have kind of made the formula a little different here as well. The first card for mine is Ruhan of the Fomori. This is a Jeskai Commander, 4-mana 7-7, that at the beginning of combat on your turn, you must choose an opponent at random, and Ruhan will attack that player this combat of if able. He came in one of the original Commander Precons, very bizarre commander that's just hitting people's faces at random. Do you think that there are more Ruhan Commander decks than there are Territorial Hellkites in Commander decks. Territorial Hellkite being a 4-mana 6-5 with Flying and Haste that came in the Dragon Precon, and it says at the beginning of combat on your turn, you choose an opponent at random that Territorial Hellkite didn't attack during your last combat, and then it must attack that player this combat of Fable. However, if you can't choose an opponent this way, it has to be tapped. So kind of playing with the formula a little bit, these two random attacker huge beaters, do you think that there are more territorial Hellkites in decks than there are Ruhan decks? What do you guys think? Man, I can't say that I've ever seen a Ruhan deck, but territorial Hellkites only been in, I think, that one Commander Precon, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I still would probably guess that... Uh, <laughs> territorial Hellkite, but I mean... Neither number can be that high, so I'm still gonna go with Hellkite. I have seen a Ruhan deck, and and it wasn't great, but I have seen one. And the territorial Hellkite, like that, my buddy who played it, I'm pretty sure that was like one of the first cards he took out. So I'm gonna go with Ruhan actually. <laughs> oh man, Kaya, what do you think? Which one do you think sees more play? Um, I'm actually gonna go with Ruhan, uh, because of the 1v1, he's really powerful, um, you don't have to deal with the random so much. Yeah, definitely good reasoning, because the Territorial Hellkite does tap itself down, and you are correct, there are currently more Ruhan decks than Territorial Hellkite's index. Presently, there are 477 decks to Ruhan's name, whereas the Hellkite only shows up in 434. And I did notice that too, Matt. A friend of mine has a uh, an Ur-Dragon deck, and he took the Territorial Hellkite out of his deck as well, but... 
I guess these kind of strike me if I were to end up playing a Chaos deck. Both of those seem my style. If I'm going to do things at random, I just want to be hitting people for it. And it kind of reminds me of Vile Smasher in that way. Just, oops, I hit you and did a thing at random. Sorry. And I just sort of like... uh, just doing damage that way. So these are definitely up my alley. And as I mentioned, Ruhan is showing up in a bit more. But also, as Dana mentioned, it is kind of low. I don't know. I think that these could see a little more play. They look like my type of chaotic fun. Alrighty, Dana, do you want to let us know your head-to-head this week? Um, sure. And mine, mine is... I don't even have like a Chaos Warp-ish ode to uh, Chaos here. I've just got head-to-head cards. It's not on theme, but... All good. Um... So I was kind of curious. I mentioned Dust Bowl in one of our things a few weeks back, and it just got me thinking about land destruction lands. And I assume Strip Mine was the most frequently played land destruction land, and it was. But the number two land is very, very close to it. So I'm wondering if anyone knows what the second most frequently played land destruction land is. And I will give you the three that it may be. It's either Ghost Quarter, Wasteland, or Tectonic Edge. Windmill Slam on Tectonic Edge. That one had a lot of modern play, and I think that that clout really carried over to the Commander format. So I'm going to go with Tech Edge. Hmm. Kai, what do you think? I'm I'm trying to think everything through. Uh, it's definitely not Wasteland. I think it's Ghost because it was in the precons. Yeah, I think I think Ghost Quarter too because it's non-conditional. You do get a basic out of it, but. I think it's Ghost Quarter because it's a free activation too. So Strip Mine is in 29,000 decks, almost 30,000. Number two, being much, much closer than I thought it would be, is Ghost Quarter yeah. at 26,000 decks. Three for three. So I, the, the, the fact that Ghost Quarter, I, I thought Ghost Quarter would be number two, but I was shocked that it was that close to Strip Mine. And the thing that then really surprised me, Wasteland is number three at just under 12,000. Tectonic Edge is four at just over 10,000. So there's more Wastelands in decks than there are Tectonic Edges. Man, this is... Mm. I, got, I got mega defeated in that one. Now I'm well, sad. I, I, would not have, I would have assumed Wasteland was fourth or fifth. I would not have guessed. Because it's, it's a $25 card now, but it's, it was a 60 or $80 card up until fairly recently. Up until the uh, Eternal Masters. But this, this also then got me looking at the prices of Strip Mine. The cheapest strip mine right now is eighteen dollars for an anthology or a fourth edition is roughly the same price, because strip mine was like three or four bucks for a long time. So the fact that Ghost Quarter at like a buck fifty ish is within two thousand decks or so of strip mine, I would bet when we look at this maybe in a year from now when we've had another cycle of commander decks come through and you know a bunch more commanders from you know Dominaria and the commander set and from um, Ravnica and stuff. People building new decks, if they're looking at $20 strip mines if it doesn't get a reprint and $1.50 Ghost Quarters, it wouldn't surprise me if Ghost Quarter passes strip mine as the most frequently played land, destruction land here within the next year. Yeah. And I wouldn't have guessed it was that close at all. I mean, yeah. when it comes to pre-con cards, I feel they're the safer bet, which says a lot. And Ghost Quarter was in Commander 2014 and 15, so that definitely probably helped its numbers as well. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, last up, Matt, what's your head-to-head this week? Alright, so my head-to-head, I also, like Dana, didn't go with a crazy chaos head-to-head pick, but uh, th- These guys are no similar. fun, Kaya. I know, I'm no fun. That's, that's, that's fine. I had a long weekend, and 
so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be boring. But so for you guys today, I have From Beyond versus Awakening Zone. Uh, so From Beyond is the four mana version from Battle for Zendikar. Um, at the beginning of your upkeep, put a one one colorless Eldrazi Scion that has sacrifice to add one mana, and it has the ability uh, pay one in a green sacrifice from Beyond. Search your library for an Eldrazi card, reveal it, put it into your hand, shuffle your library. So you can tutor if you sacrifice it and pay two to, to find an Eldrazi. Whereas Awakening Zone is an enchantment for two and a green. Uh, and it just reads, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may create a 0-1 colorless Eldrazi spawn with the ability of sacrifice it to add one colorless to your mana pool. What do you guys think is played more? Well, the go searching for an Eldrazi clause, I feel like that never really matters on From Beyond. And again, I think I'm going to go with the bias of time. Awakening Zone was out for a really long time before we revisited Zendikar, and then From Beyond was printed. Plus, I kind of like having, like, if I'm going to be creating tokens or things that can be sacrificed for mana, I want to do that as early as possible. And Awakening Zone being at three mana as opposed to From Beyond's four, I feel like that can really matter for tempo so i'm gonna go with awakening zone i think yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna agree with joey here for the exactly the same reasons um four mana to get that effect isn't is fine but three is really really good and i, I agree that the eldrazi part rarely matters particularly in in decks that have green or access to green or can legally play it so i'm gonna go with awakening zone as well kaya what do you think yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. Uh, I'd have to say Awakening Zone. I think I've seen everything common, and I've never seen Beyond. Well, I was hoping that somebody would go the way I was actually thinking it would be, but you guys are all correct, though. Awakening Zone is played more. Uh, Awakening Zone has 6,347 decks, uh, whereas From Beyond only has 4,954. So about 1,400 or so more decks for Awakening Zone. Um, I actually thought the tutor was kind of relevant, and then the Eldrazi spawn being one ones on their own, but I guess I was wrong. I mean, I guess well, so. I, I'm a big fan of both of those cards, uh, particularly Awakening Zone. I, I've got there's at least two or three token decks on meta that play Awakening Zone, and sitting across the table from it, it is super annoying because it's it's throwing out chump blockers or or mana sources, whichever they need more. And then when they drop that beast within, those three or four or five tokens they didn't sack become super relevant. And on top of that, it is really, really hard to justify removing it when it's out there. Like, I, it, someone casts it, and I see it, and it's making those, those token ramps, and I don't want the card in play. But there's always going to be something worse that I want to remove even more. So it just sits there all game, being annoying, creating value never ever getting removed really i feel exactly the opposite it it strikes me as sort of just a very benign card i feel like it creates tokens at such a slow pace that they're they never really bug me well they don't bug you enough to to remove it for sure but i mean that adds up for sure you know most token decks are running some manner of anthem or buff effect and it's it's ramp that when you no longer need ramp it becomes bodies that are probably no longer zero ones um i think it's just a really a really useful card that's in that sweet spot that people don't want to expend cards to remove so it just gets to generate value for free all the time that's a good point there's something to be said for subtlety there's also something to be said for you know hitting people over the side of the head with a hugely chaotic deck too though so absolutely yes <laughs> i agree 
I'm going to hit you over the head with a hugely terrible segue. <laughs> Kai, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the show with us. And if people want to get a hold of you, where can they contact you? Um, Everybody can contact me through Facebook. I have a Facebook page called uh, Girl with the Lotus Tattoo. Uh, that's probably the best way to communicate with me. If anybody ever had questions or comments or anything like that, I try to post on it daily. Fantastic. And listeners, of course, you can check out her awesome articles and all of her sculptures, figurines, and other creations on EDH Rec with her Bringing Magic to Life series, her Combining Hobbies series. She's got a whole bunch of really cool articles that you should definitely check out. Matt, Dana, what about your social media coordinates? Where can listeners get a hold of you? So I'm at at Mathemus55 on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of fun stuff. And you can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach, and you can find me recording a podcast weekly at Commander Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Kaya, thank you again so much for coming onto the show. And I think with that, we're going to call the episode to a close. You can follow EDHREC on Facebook and Twitter at EDHREC and the EDHREC subreddit if you have a question or a request for a new site feature. If the EDHREC Facebook page gets 5,000 likes, there will be a giveaway. So head on over there and smash that like button for a chance at a cool prize. We're also doing a giveaway for the EDHRECcast Twitter page once we hit 1,000 followers. So be sure to check out the EDHRECcast on Twitter as well. Like Dana mentioned, you can check out his other podcasts at cmdrcentral.lipson.com. You can check out all of Kaya's content at the girl with the lotus tattoo to, whether on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. You can check us out at edhretcast at dotlipson.com or contact us at edhretcast at gmail.com and you can also find us on iTunes and if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help boost our visibility and help other folks find the podcast. You can also find this podcast and more on edhretc's very own community content spotlight section where we feature as many other Commander content creators as we can from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus not to mention new articles published every day by our fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights and until then remember EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck um I decided like because we had a lady present I wanted to be polite so I recorded with pants on tonight and it threw my rhythm completely off <laughs> mm. wow well, well you're I... better than me <laughs> uh, I, was, I was about to say I, I walked in the door and immediately like dropped trow and I am begging you, please don't use any of this. <laughs> this is gold. This is all gold. <laughs>